Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Many happy returns to you all. Uh, this past week was Jonah's fast, and this coming week is the last week uh, before we begin uh, the Great Lent. So Great Lent will begin not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow to following Monday. Uh, we read today in the psalm preceding the Gospel, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength are be- and beauty are in His sanctuary. And this psalm emphasizes to us our role and the importance of our role in honoring the Lord. So we'll contemplate together how we can honor the Lord through four means. By obeying His commandments, by respecting His house, by revering His sacrifice, and finally by serving His children. In the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 21, we read this uh, parable that the Lord gives. But what do you think? A man had two sons And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. And the passage continues and says, For John came to you, in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So we see here, through this example, that honoring the Lord and obeying his commandments is not about lip service. It's not about what we say, but it's about walking the walk, not just talking the talk. It's about where the rubber meets the road. They actually act and behave and do what's pleasing to my Father? Or do I talk about the commandments of the Lord and I talk a good talk, but when it comes time to actually patterning my life, I can't be bothered to pattern my life according to the way that the Lord instructs me. So what do I use as the standard for what I aspire to? Do I look at God's commandments and say, I aspire to live my life according to this pattern Or do I look at at everyone else in the world and say, I want to be like everybody else. I want to do what everybody else does. I want to live how everybody else lives. I want to behave how everybody else behaves. I want to go to the places that everyone else goes. I want to value the things that everyone else values. Do I spend my time looking at the latest influencers on on TikTok and Instagram and, and all these pictures of the latest fashions and the latest places that they're going and the latest things that they're eating and the latest things that they're driving and the latest things that they're buying and what's the latest makeup trend and what's the latest game that's out there and what's the latest, all of these viral trends that go on. This is how I pattern my life? Or do I look at the commandment of God and say, this is what I ought to be doing. This is what I ought to be seeking. This is what I ought to be desiring to do. It's not just about knowing the commandment of God. Actually, both of the sons knew the commandment of God. And initially, one of them said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But when he evaluated himself, he said, no, I should honor my father 
by doing what's pleasing to my Father. But the passage also gives us some hope that, okay, maybe we've rejected like the first son. We said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But when we come to ourselves, we still have an opportunity to say, you know, no, what my Father commands is right. And even if I'm not convinced, but because I honor my Father and because I love my Father, I'm going to obey His commandments. And beyond that, Christ continues and tells the Pharisees that He was reprimanding. Even when you saw the tax collectors and harlots accepting the preaching of repentance of John, you still did not come to yourselves in turn. So we have many opportunities to come to ourselves and say, you know what, I'm not going to be affiliated with this world, but I'm going to do and obey the commandments of my Father. We can honor the Lord also by respecting His house. We read in John chapter 2, which we read on Jonah's feast, and he, found them in the temp- and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So what we see here is Christ telling the people who were buying and selling and and converting money in the temple, don't make the place of spiritual investment a place of worldly investment. The house of God is somewhere different. It has its honor. It's holy. And as we've said before, the word holy means that it's set aside for a purpose. It's set aside for the purpose of worshiping God. It's not common like every other place. The house of God is a place where we come to make spiritual investments. But the money changers and those that were buying and selling took the place where they ought to have been making spiritual investments and they turned it into a marketplace, a place where they were making worldly investments. So also we do sometimes. You're going to tell me, I wonder, but we don't come and we don't buy and sell and we're not trading and we're not, we're not converting money or doing anything. But let's evaluate ourselves when we're in the house of God. And where is our mind working? Where are we investing our energy and our time and our concentration when we're in the house of the Lord? Are we spending our time and our energy and our concentration planning the rest of our day, planning the rest of our week, thinking about the stock market, thinking about the next task that I ought to do at work, thinking about what I need to do to get ahead in my job? Maybe there's a promotion opportunity and I'm sitting in church thinking about what's the next strategic move that I need to make in order to make myself a viable candidate for this promotion? Am I thinking about my exams and my classes and what do I need to do to be at the top of my class and what do I need to do to uh, impress my, my professors? Am I thinking about my next investment opportunity? Is Bitcoin going up? Is it Bitcoin going down? Is the market going up? Is the market going down? Is it the right time to sell stock and buy gold because it's more stable? Is this what I'm occupying my mind with? Am I investing my time and my energy and my effort in, in worldly investments? Or is my heart and my mind and my attention focused on the sacrament that's being offered? Am I looking at the fact that Christ descended from the glory of heaven and entered into our world and offered Himself on the cross and He's offering me His body and His blood on the altar and saying, come, Eat this. Forget about the cares 
of the world and spend some time with me here in my house, which is the symbol of my presence among you, the place where heaven and earth meet. And for a moment, take out of your mind the worldly things, the earthly things, and think about what it's going to be like in heaven. Think about what it means that the angels stand continuously before me, praising and worshiping. Thinking, think about the images of heaven that you see in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Revelation, where people saw heaven open in front of their eyes. And imagine that this is where you're going. And spend just a few moments out of your week ignoring what's outside of these walls and focusing on heaven and investing your time and your energy there. This is how we can honor the Lord, by respecting His house and respecting the sacraments that are performed and offered in His house. We can honor the Lord also by revering His sacrifice. When you fly into San Antonio, you hear these like recorded announcements in the airport right, from the mayor. And, and one of the things he says is, Welcome to Military City, USA. Right? We have a big military presence here. And so, like veterans are, are very visible in our community. And actually, in American society, we honor the servicemen and veterans. We have Veterans Day. We have Memorial Day. In the U.S. and elsewhere, right, there's the, the monument to the unknown soldier. Right? This is common not only in the U.S., but in many other countries. We honor those people. Why? Because, as we say, they made the ultimate sacrifice, right? They, they gave up their lives in order to protect and defend our freedoms. Well, what about Christ? And Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. Like He descended from heaven, He came to the earth, and He died not to defend our freedom from a worldly enemy who can only have power over us for a time, temporally, but from an eternal enemy, a spiritual enemy, who was oppressing us and would continue to oppress us for eternity and would take our freedom from us for eternity. And so, should we not also honor the sacrifice that He made for us and consider this as something deserving of our reverence? We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, St. Paul tells them, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The message of the cross without the understanding of what was achieved through the cross is very confusing. It doesn't make any sense. Why do you worship this man who was punished as a criminal and, and slaughtered in the most humiliating way? But when we realize that this was the sacrifice that he made to free us from the oppressor, all of a sudden it makes sense. And we recognize that no, we ought to honor the Lord by showing reverence to the sacrifice that he made. This ties in then to the next point. Oftentimes, when somebody makes such a big sacrifice or somebody is fighting for a cause 
and they, they die either fighting for that cause or they die prematurely, we find out that like foundations are established and, 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 and trusts are built. And in universities, they make like these memorial scholarships to remember the effort and commemorate the memory of the person who was fighting for this cause. And so in order to honor their legacy, we establish these foundations and these institutions and we make scholarships and we, we do fundraising to honor the memory of the one who departed by continuing to pursue and fight for the cause that they fought for and that they loved. So what is the cause that was dear to Christ that he died for? It's our salvation and the salvation of everyone. And so if we want to honor the Lord, as we honor those that depart from this world, we ought to continue to try and strive to achieve the legacy that he came to establish, which is we ought to be fighting for the salvation, not only of our own salvation, but the salvation of all of God's children. In Matthew chapter 25, we read, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Serving God's children is serving Him directly. Bringing His message to the downtrodden, those that are, that are missing Him, is something that we do to honor Him and to honor His memory and to honor His legacy. We also see in 2 Timothy, I thank God when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded also is, is in you also. So we see from this passage that the right and upright faith is transmitted generally, generationally. So in addition to serving God's people, we honor God by transmitting the faith faithfully from the generation before us from whom we received the faith to the generation after us to whom we're accountable to transmit the faith. The faith that we received is a trust. God gave it to us and we received it from the church. And we owe a debt of gratitude to God and to His church that He gave us this faith and that those before us labored and emptied themselves so that we could receive the faith in its fullness. Those fathers, the patriarchs, the, the, the bishops, the clergy that came before us, the Sunday school servants, the parents, the, the older generation that sacrificed so much entirely worked to implant us in the church so that we could receive the faith and know God and have a relationship with Him, do we not owe them and do we not owe God to, transmate, to, to, to transmit as faithfully this faith to the next generation to build the posterity so that they can have life as we received life from the generation before us? This is the way that we honor the Lord, that we take the faith that we received from our fathers and transmit it faithfully to our children and not just our children in the flesh, because those that served us were not only our, our bodily parents, our fleshly parents, but we were served by so many that were related to us and that were not related to us. And so we owe also and we ought also to serve as many as we can to transmit faithfully the faith that we received. So to recap, we ought to honor the Lord. And we can do this by obeying His commandments not just by word, but in action. And even it's more important to obey the commandment by action than by word. We should respect His house as the place where heaven and earth meet and the place 
where we have an opportunity to exclude everything else and focus on him. We revere the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, that he died for our freedom. And so we honor that he died for our freedom and we respect the sacrifice that he made. And we demonstrate this by serving his children and transmitting the faith that we received from the generation before us, before us as a faithful trust that transmit to the generation after us. May God grant us all the strength to honor him in all that we do, and glory be to our God forever. Amen. May, uh... This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart, and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ. Spirit, one God. Amen. Many happy returns to you all. Today is the second Sunday of the Great Lent. And as we're accustomed, the church arranges for us the reading of uh, the gospel of the temptation of the Lord on the mount when he fasted for 40 days and then went up out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we know the temptations that the devil brought in front of him to, uh, to turn the stones to bread, to throw himself from the pinnacles, the pinnacle of the temple and to bow down and to worship the devil. And we know the response of the Lord. He always responded from the scriptures saying, it is written, and then he responded to Satan. When we read the psalm of, of this morning's gospel, we read from Psalm 27, and it says, Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from, be, from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God, of my salvation. And so we have in the Gospel reading the description of the temptation and the tribulation and the struggle. And we have in the psalm the explanation of the path to victory, which is asking the Lord not to forsake us and not to leave us. And this parallels then the battle that we face in Lent because we are all in during this Lent in a battle. We're saying to the devils, fasting and prayer, cast out demons. And we're taking a stand and associating ourselves with Christ, who at the end of the fast is going to suffer and die. And through his suffering and his death, he overcame the power of the wicked one. And through the fast, we're standing in solidarity with him. And we're saying we're doing this fast for him. So we're making like a declaration of war against the devil. And so it's expedient and, and uh, needful for us to study then some ideas about this Lenten battle in which we find ourselves. So we'll contemplate together on three points. Going into the wilderness, we'll talk about preparing for struggles, and then we'll look at the psalm, do not leave me nor forsake me. We know that, and this is something we contemplate on often, that after Christ's fast, he went into the wilderness in order to be tempted. So he went to Satan in his place. We get some insight into this when we read uh, Luke, the Gospel according to St. Luke, when Christ talks to the people about St. John the Baptist. And he says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live, in and live in luxury are in king's courts. 
So you don't go out to the wilderness for luxury to see people that are softly dressed and, and enjoying the, the, the comforts of this world. Right? You go to the wilderness expecting to see what you find in the wilderness, right? Harshness and struggle. Now this is what we do in Lent. We look at Christ's example and we go to the wilderness. But we're not physically going out to the wilderness. We're going to the wilderness by, by bringing the wilderness kind of into us. That is, the, the, the deprivation of the wilderness, the restraint and the discipline of the wilderness. Not sitting in luxury, reclining in our beds. Those who are dressed in soft garments and gorgeously appareled and living in luxury are in king's courts. But that's not who we are. That's not what we're doing now. We're stripping ourselves from those comforts. Why? So that we're ready to fight and struggle and strive. And I know we often contemplate and we say we're taking the fight to the place of the devil. We go out to the wilderness where the devil is and this is where we fight. And so we're like fighting the devil on his turf, so to speak. But my beloved, actually, I put to you that the fight for us is easier in the wilderness than it is in the luxury of the world. How many of us try to stand and pray and lift up our, our hands in prayer when we're reclined comfortably in our beds? This is the hardest time to convince myself to stand and pray when my bed is warm and comfortable and the covers are comfortable and it's nice and I'm cozy. I don't want to stand up and pray. When I've well eaten and my belly is full or the table in front of me is is sumptuous and the food is delicious and, and the setting is comfortable, I don't want to put all this away and sit and read my Bible, right? So actually, when I'm, when I'm taken by all of the, the, the comforts of the world, it's much easier for the devil to fight against me. He's got many more tricks in his hands to distract me away from prayer, away from Bible reading, away from my quiet time with God because I've kind of furnished the table and I've made the setting conducive to him to distract me when I'm caught up in social media, when I'm looking at what other people are doing, when I'm shopping online, when I'm looking at the latest styles, when I'm getting ready for spring-summer 2023 and finding out what's going to be the new colors and the new this and the new that. What motivation do I have to stand up and pray and to read my Bible? But I go into the wilderness. I cut myself off from the world. I abandon the richness of the world. I put away the comforts of the world. And I go into the wilderness and I stand ready to fight. And okay, I'm fighting the devil on his turf, so to speak. But I'm also saying, look, I am serious about this fight. I'm not here to be distracted by the comforts of the world. I'm here for the spiritual struggle. And this brings us then to the idea of preparing for struggles. Sometimes we notice that, that the troubles and the difficulties and the struggles arise in, at Lent and, and, and the disputes between people and all the challenges in life seem to kind of get stirred up at the beginning of Lent and during the time of Lent. And we wonder, like, why is this happening? I mean, God, I'm, I am, I'm trying to do something good here. I'm fasting. I'm trying to, to, to be better about my prayers. I'm, I'm trying to do the things that please you. Why are you making it harder for me and you're not making things easy for me? Why is it that when I try to do something good, I don't see the reward from God that I anticipate, but rather I end up in all of these kind of difficulties when I'm trying to do 
what God wants. Why is He not rewarding me? And this is where we look to Sirach, chapter 2, verse 1, and we say, Son, when you apply yourself to the service of God, stand in justice and in fear and prepare your soul for temptation. Be ready when you come to serve the Lord, whether it's through service in the church or in the community, or whether you come to serve the Lord through fasting and prayer and prostrations and attending liturgy and increasing in your repentance and and doubling down on your spiritual canon in order to serve the Lord to be His servant. Expect temptation. This is the character of of a battle. Uh, An enemy doesn't see their opposition reinforcing themselves and preparing for battle and say, well, okay, I guess we lost. We better just throw up our hands and walk away. No. When we go and we prepare for a spiritual fight, Satan sees that we're preparing for a spiritual fight and he prepares to fight against us. And so he brings what he has against us. So it's not that the Lord is not blessing us. It's not that the Lord is not not trying to make things easy for us. It's that we're in a struggle against another power that's trying to make it as difficult for us to draw near to God as he can. And so we have to approach the fast with this mindset that it's actually going to be harder to get up and pray. It's going to be harder to pick up my Bible. And I may face struggles in this world that I don't understand, that I don't anticipate, that I don't expect, and that I can't explain. And I scratch my head and wonder, why is this happening now? Well, it may just be that Satan is trying to distract us from the real fight. But we then also take comfort um, in, in, in looking at, for example, the struggle of Jacob. We read when he's going back to face Esau. We say, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And we know that this man was, was the Lord. I will not let you go. This was as they were wrestling. Jacob says to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. This was the response. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Why do I put this? Because often we look at Lent as a struggle against the devil, which it is. But Lent is also a struggle with God. It's the time that we go to our prayer room and we say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So we're wrestling with God and saying, okay, yes, I'm fighting against my enemy and your enemy. But I'm also struggling with you. I'm going to cling to you and I'm not going to easily let you go. I'm here for this time, for these 55 days, to be blessed by you as much as I can be blessed by you. So as much as we're struggling against Satan, we're struggling with God to be with him and to receive his blessing. And my beloved, when he sees our struggle, as he blessed our father Jacob, so also he'll bless us. And then ultimately we we get comfort in looking to the Lord and crying out to Him and saying, do not leave me nor forsake me, as we read in the psalm. Do not turn your face away from me. Do not leave me nor forsake me. We read in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. I want us to understand this. Sometimes we feel that the temptations that we struggle with are exceptional. And I don't say this to minimize what any of us is suffering through or going through, but my beloved, we are not the first ones to face the struggles that we face. 
It may be the first time that we face our struggles, but there are those who came before us who struggled and by God's grace were victorious. So we should find comfort in knowing that God who is faithful and was able to help those before us through their struggles will remain faithful and help us through our struggles, which is what St. Paul says. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. So the temptations that we face, God knows fully well that we have what it takes in order to be able to overcome those temptations. And he continues and says, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. My beloved, I don't want us to misunderstand this and say that God is going to give me temptations, but I'm also good enough to overcome the temptations. He knows that I'm good enough. Okay, Because if we take this position, we're liable to fall into the sin of pride and think that we can do it. But when it says that God with the temptation will also make the way of escape, the way of escape is to lean on Him. Regardless of how big or how small the temptation or the trial or the struggle is, the way of escape is to flee to Him rather than to stand and to fight the enemy by my own strength. It's a fool's battle to fight an enemy that I know is stronger than me and to try and rely on my own strength. But I also know that I have God on my side who's stronger than the enemy that always beats me. So in the time of tribulation, when I flee to Him and I say, do not leave me and do not forsake me and do not turn your face away from me, then the Lord has provided for me the way of escape. So then we turn to the psalm and we say, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Notice that the, the supplication, do not hide your face from me, came after the Lord said, seek my face. And David responded, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. How many times do we not seek the Lord? We don't go after Him. We don't run to Him. We don't flee to Him. And then we wonder, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you supporting me in my struggle? But we can't say to the Lord, do not hide your face from me unless we're seeking His face. Because otherwise, His face can be in plain sight. And if we're not seeking Him, if we're not looking for Him, then He won't be seen by us. First, we ought to seek the Lord and cling to Him and wrestle with Him and say, I will not leave you unless you bless me. Do not hide your face from me. And this is what our struggle is about. Our struggle is about unburdening ourselves from the distractions of the world, going into the wilderness, taking, yes, the fight to the devil's own turf, but in a place where he can't easily distract us, and then fleeing to the Lord and wrestling with Him and saying, don't leave me and forsake me. I won't leave you unless you bless me. Because without you, I have nothing. Without you, I'm weak and I can't overcome. But you, you called me to tribulation and temptation and struggle and trial. And so I cling to you because you are the source of my strength. And you are the one who can help me to overcome. And so this is why in Lent, we deprive ourselves from, our, from, from, from the luxury of food. 
We try to cut off the temptations of media and social media and the distractions of the world. We go into our prayer room. We pick up our Agbeya. We pick up our Bible. We prostrate ourselves in front of the Lord in repentance. We spend a period of abstinence from food in the morning. We try to increase our liturgy attendance. We increase our confession and our repentance. And we fight and we struggle. This is what Lent is about. So to recap, we leave comfort behind. We take the fight to the devil. We gird our loins and prepare ourselves for the struggle and be ready to fight. We call on God as victory can only come through Him. We can't have victory on our own. May God give all of us a blessed Lent and glory be to our God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.